This is The Guardian. Order. I'm Laura Meffiotes, and this is The Full Story. The provision is eyes 89, nose 55. Labor's climate bill has passed the House of Representatives and is set to pass the Senate. The question is therefore resolved in the affirmative. The support of the Greens Party, which now holds considerable power in the Senate, was hard won. And Greens leader Adam Bant says he'll continue to push Labor to move away from fossil fuels. So what does this moment mean for climate action in Australia and for the relationship between Labor and the Greens Party in the new parliament? Today, the climate bill and the power of the Greens. It's Monday, the 8th of August. So, Adam, Labor's climate bill passed the lower house last week. It's also set to pass the Senate at a later date. Can you tell us a little bit about how Parliament reached this consensus? Because it wasn't an easy path. No, it wasn't easy. Labor has always had the numbers in the lower house to get the bill passed. Adam Morton is Environment Editor at Guardian Australia. But in the Senate, they either need the support of the coalition or 13 crossbenchers, which basically works out as 12 Greens and one independent, most likely David Pocock, the new independent for the Mm. ACT. And the Greens were always the most likely path. And the coalition basically counted themselves out of the conversation from the outset when Peter Dutton came out and, and said they wouldn't support it. Now, even though Labor didn't need anyone else's support in the lower house, they have gone out of their way to make clear they wanted the support of the Teal Independents and the crossbench and have spoken to them about concerns they've had and and added in some amendments based on their concerns. Uh, The Greens did not come out and support it straight away. Adam Bant, the Greens leader, has been very strong in his language, saying it wasn't up to scratch from their point of view and their support would really hinge on whether the government was prepared to give some ground. Labor was very clearly responded they weren't going to give it any ground. And so there was, for a while, at least in public, what appeared like a standoff with each party talking to their own constituency. But it was always likely that we're going to end up at this point, I think. And ultimately, a decision was reached on Tuesday night that the Greens, uh, by consensus, we don't know if they were divided internally, but they said by consensus they would back the bill. This was all announced to the public on Wednesday at the press club. The Greens are kind of foreshadowed. Adam Bant has an update on the climate bill. He'll speak at the press club. So there was a lot of anticipation before this speech. What did Adam Bant say? So there's plenty for us to hear about from Dr Bant today. So please uh, welcome him to our podium. Thanks very much, David. Um, Well, having built it up as the moment that he was going to announce uh, the Greens' position on Labor's climate change bill, Um, He used the attention he got for that by leaving that till late in his speech and really set out in some detail the Greens' agenda Mm. for the next three years. So to be crystal clear, the Greens have improved a weak climate bill, but the fight to stop Labor opening new coal and gas mines continues. And then eventually... And that's why I can tell you today that tomorrow I will be joined by our Greens MPs in the House of Representatives, in voting for the climate change bill, 
and when the bill comes before the Senate, we will vote for it there as well. Given Pocock has already come out and said he's willing to support the bill, he has a similar position to the Greens, he'd like to see more done, but he's prepared to back the bill, it means it'll get through the Senate in September. Mm. How is this news greeted by Labor? Enthusiastically, without wanting to give too much praise to the Greens, I think it's fair to say. Thanks for joining me again this morning. Uh. I'm not sure that the Prime Minister actually mentioned the Greens in his press conference immediately after uh, Adam Bant's announcement, but they used, particularly the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, used strong language about how this was a real opportunity for a break from the past after years of failure on climate change. Uh, This is an opportunity to end the climate wars. This is an opportunity for the whole of the parliament to be on the right side of history, to put aside the conflict and the arguments that came around with 22 different energy policies, not one of them implemented. So, Adam, we should probably talk about this bill. What is actually in it? Uh, The main bit and the bit that's got the most attention is Labor's emissions reduction target for 2030, which is a 43% cut compared with 2005 levels. Uh, And the bill also includes the goal of net zero emissions by 2050. Now, Labor has Mm. made clear that it didn't need to have these targets legislated to act on them, that it planned to try and meet them anyway, and it has already submitted them to the United Nations as part of the international process under the Paris Climate Agreement. So it's already effectively bound as much as the Paris Agreement binds action by countries. But it said that legislating them was important to show that the country was now serious in acting on climate to send a signal to investors and the business community who want to act. And also important because it would make it harder for any future government to unwind targets once they're written in law. How is Labor planning to get to 43%? What's the path to that number? Okay, so it released a policy when it was in opposition last December that was called Powering Australia, the Powering Australia Plan. And there's really two main policies that it says we'll get it to the 43% cut. One is to use what is known as the safeguard mechanism, a coalition policy that was basically introduced to put a limit on emissions from the big polluting sites across the country. Under the coalition, it didn't. They've been allowed to increase emissions. Labor says it will now work with industry to gradually start to reduce those emissions so that they reach net zero by 2050 and deliver a chunk of the cut that's required by 2030. They'll make a policy that's supposed to stop big polluters polluting actually work. That's the idea. Lots of detail to come, nearly all the detail to come, but that's the idea. And the other big policy that they announced before the election was a promised $20 billion rollout of electricity transmission links, in really simple terms, poles and wires, though it's slightly more complicated than that, to connect different parts of the country, Mm. to connect renewable energy zones to cities. This is called their rewiring the nation policy. There are also some odds and sods, um, for example, some tax cuts for electric vehicles, which will make some difference to people wanting to buy EVs, but doesn't cut emissions a great deal this decade, and there's no overarching transport emissions reduction plan. Mm. So I want to go back to the Greens and this kind of consensus that was reached. 
What changed for the Greens to come on board? So the Greens say they won a number of concessions. While the government has been unwilling to adopt science-based targets and place a moratorium on new coal and gas, we have been able to secure improvements to the bill. It should be said, Labor says and said from the outset it was open to making amendments as long as they were consistent with their pre-election commitments. So uh, Labor doesn't think it Mm. gave up any particularly huge ground here. Both the Greens and a number of the Teal independents wanted to ensure that the 43% target was, the language is, a floor and not a ceiling, which basically means it couldn't be reduced and it didn't prevent Australia making a deeper cut in emissions over that time. The target can be ratcheted up over time and that it's now Dutton-proofed with a genuine floor, which means the target cannot go backwards. And... That was consistent with the government's language anyway, so they were open to including some wording in the legislation that would allow that. And another part of the bill that we haven't discussed yet relates to the Climate Change Authority, which is an independent statutory agency that was introduced in the Gillard years um, that's meant to advise on climate policy. Um, It's really been diminished Mm. under the coalition, had its budget and its numbers cut and the board replaced with people much more sympathetic to the coalition's point of view and hasn't really been called on to do very much. There's currently no climate scientist on the board. There used to be in the years after it was set up by Labor in partnership with the Greens. So that's going to be a major question, the makeup of the Climate Change Authority going forward. Right. So a group that's supposed to advise government on climate doesn't have a climate scientist on it. What changes has Labor agreed to make to this body? Labor says it will re-empower it to advise each year on how we're going in reducing emissions and meeting our targets and, importantly, to give advice later in this term of Parliament on what the 2035 emissions reduction target should be. Now, uh, the Greens and Independents, again, wanted that strengthened to ensure that the advice that the Climate Change Authority gives will be made public. And if the government doesn't follow it, it'll have to explain publicly why it has not followed that advice. Um, and that's that's been included in the bill. Right. So watch this space in terms of the Climate Change Authority. There may be some big changes to come. What else has Labor apparently shifted on, according to the Greens? One of the other parts of the legislation is that uh, Chris Bowen, the climate change minister, promised to embed the climate target in some government agencies. And government agencies such as Export Finance Australia that in the past have funded coal and gas projects will for the first time be forced to take climate targets into account, which should see them curbed from supporting fossil fuels. Basically, in simple terms, it means they would have to consider the 43% reduction target and the net zero target when these agencies are making investment decisions on behalf of the Australian people, which isn't currently a requirement. The agencies Labor wanted to include were largely renewable energy agencies, so that's not really that controversial. The Greens wanted to expand that to include agencies such as Export Finance Australia, which invests offshore, and Infrastructure Australia, which invests in big infrastructure projects in Australia. So in theory, it should mean that 
before they're making decisions, they're considering what will be the emissions footprint of this project that we're putting money into, and is it consistent with the government's legislated emissions reduction targets? Right. Could this just become a kind of ticker box exercise where government agencies say, yeah, we've considered it and then invest in fossil fuels? I mean, I think that's an open question. There is different wording for different agencies and not being a lawyer, I don't want to suggest I know where each of those will end up. But I think what it certainly does sets a framework where decisions that are seen as pro-fossil fuels by these organisations will be challenged. What, including these organisations in this says to the public is that's not what they're going to be doing anymore. So, Adam, that's what was agreed upon. What about the things that they didn't agree upon that are still left outstanding? Well, the major one is what's going to happen with new fossil fuel developments, new coal and gas developments. And the Greens would like to see that dealt with, in part at least, by the introduction of what's known as a climate trigger. Mm. What is the climate trigger? A climate trigger is a mechanism that could be introduced into the national environment laws, the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act or EPBC Act. Effectively, what it would do is introduce a climate test when the environment minister was considering whether new major developments could go ahead. So basically, a climate trigger would introduce some sort of test based on its emissions um, that would... Uh, require the minister to factor that in before a development could go ahead. What would that look like, Adam? If that went ahead, would Tanya Plibersek not be able to approve any project that would make climate change worse? Well, we don't know. It really depends on how it's designed. And look, I, I think it's very unlikely that Labor would agree to that sort of climate trigger if it was to agree to one at all. Mm. But it could, in basic terms, set a level of emissions above which um a project had to offset all its carbon pollution. Or, you know, more if it was more strongly worded, that it couldn't go ahead. Now, Tanya Plibersek, the Environment Minister, uh, hasn't ruled anything in or out. She said she's going to consult widely before she decides what to do. Mm. Right, so that's the climate trigger. What else is going to be an ongoing point of contention between Greens and Labor? Well, the safeguard mechanism is an incredibly tricky conversation. If the safeguard mechanism is going to put a limit on industrial emissions. What happens when you let new fossil fuel projects happen and that increases industrial emissions? Seems like a problem. Mm. So what do the Greens want from the safeguard mechanism? So the Greens will be making the case that both the safeguard mechanism and the EPBC Act should be used to make it much more difficult to build new coal and gas mines. And The Greens, they want an outright ban on new fossil fuels. We cannot afford to keep approving coal and gas. It is not only a more expensive form of power, it is deadly. It's blowing the budget and it's costing the earth. Labor's made clear that's not going to happen. I'm saying today at the National Press Club today we'll be using the safeguard, we'll endeavour to use the safeguard mechanism to stop new coal and gas projects. Is that what you're going to do with the safeguard mechanism? No, in a word. As you mentioned, the Greens have leverage here with the numbers that they have in the Senate. Do we know how far they're prepared to go in order to pressure Labor on this issue, on the issue of fossil fuels? Short answer is we don't. A lot of it's to be worked out. Bant said the Greens would be prepared to block parts of the budget that were pro-fossil fuels that included 
funding support for fossil fuels. We will comb the entire budget for any public money, any subsidies, handouts or concessions going to coal and gas corporations and amend the budget to remove them. But what we've seen so far from the Greens is compromise, a willingness to compromise. And in some quarters that's been welcomed as a sign that they'll be pragmatic. And in other places, it's been described as sort of a capitulation. I think all I'd say is no one should assume that it's an indication of where this all ends up. I think that Mm. this was the easy bit. There was no downside in the Greens not supporting this. It doesn't do any harm. Mm. I think their position will be much harder on new coal and gas. They've made that very clear quite how they use their power in the Senate to make that case, whether they try to apply it to legislation that has nothing to do with coal and gas but but threaten to block legislation if they don't see change on new fossil fuels. We just don't know at this point. Mm. So the Greens really have the power to hold Labor hostage on essentially any bill the coalition doesn't support going forward. That's a lot of power. What impact could that have on future legislation? What it will do is put climate change at the centre of political debate in a way it hasn't been for a decade. And the arguments in the past have been about policies, but not urgency so much, about the urgency of targets, about the urgency of transitioning away from fossil fuels. That's now at the centre of political debate. That's new. That's a big change in a short amount of time. It's a reflection of the election result. Now, my expectation is the Greens will make a calculation um, about where they want to block things and and where they will be, you know, what might be described as more pragmatic. The question is really where is the line on coal and gas? Um, it's not like every coal and gas development comes before Parliament to be approved. So how will they try to use what power they have in the Senate to get what is their primary goal? I think that we're in for a whole different story over the next three years. I think it's going to be really interesting and there hopefully will be some ground to move beyond this very modest first bill. Only three years? Or do you think that this is a shift that is more long-term, the fact that climate is at the centre of Australian politics? Look, I don't know what's going to happen uh, and what other pressures are coming, but I think, yes, this climate change is going to be an ongoing issue at the front line of our lives and our politics. And politicians and parties that are fighting for greater action are going to see people responding strongly to that. Next, are the climate wars really over? Adam, as you've outlined, the Greens want Labor to speed up their exit from fossil fuels. How wedded is Labor to coal and gas? It depends which angle you're coming at it. They definitely are very open to supporting new coal and gas developments. They've said that. Mm. They also um, have said that they won't be subsidising new fossil fuels in the way the coalition was. And the coalition was giving billions to the gas industry and carbon capture and storage, especially there were a a string of announcements as part of what they called a gas-fired recovery in the last couple of years. Mm. Now, we don't know where all that money is going to end up. Labor is now looking at it to see um, what it wants to support, what it has no choice but to support because contracts have been signed and what it might want to cancel. We won't really get a picture of that until the budget. 
In terms of the rhetoric, we're hearing really strong support for the future of fossil fuels from the Prime Minister in particular, who you know made the quite extravagant suggestion that expanding the Australian coal export industry could be a good thing for the global climate because our coal is cleaner than that sold from overseas. And if we didn't sell it, then other countries would just take that place. If Australia today said we are not going to export any more coal, what you'd see is a lot of jobs lost. You would see a significant loss to our economy, significant less taxation revenue for education, health and other services. And that coal wouldn't lead to a reduction in global emissions. What you would see is a replacement with coal from other countries that's likely to produce higher emissions well, there, because there is... of the quality, because of the quality May of I our just, product. I'll just push... How does he explain that line away, that Australian coal is cleaner? Well, it's a a line that has been used by the coal industry over time and certainly was used by a number of senior coalition figures in government. So the idea that Australia's coal industry is a good for the climate is, you know, it doesn't really stack up on the, you know, the detailed analysis. And also it just doesn't, I hate using this phrase, but it doesn't pass the pub test, right? More coal is not good for the environment. What's interesting there is the Prime Minister's language is that he is trying to make the case that the at the same time that he's saying we'll hit net zero emissions within 28 years that we can open up new coal mines. Well, um, I don't think most people, whatever your perspective on this discussion, would say that those two things are logically consistent. So it sounds like the Greens and Labor are going to have a lot of argy-bargy, a lot of back and forth over the next few months, the next few years even. I mean, something we should touch on, though, is where the coalition fits into all of this. What role are they going to play in the climate debate and policy discussion over the next couple of years? Well, based on the debate in the House of Representatives before the bill was passed to oppose, oppose and oppose, Bridget Archer, the backbencher from the seat of Bass in Tasmania, crossed the floor to support the bill, but everyone else blocked it. We've heard two things out of the coalition really in the in the last week on climate. One is that they're going to do an internal inquiry on the viability of a nuclear power industry in Australia, which is a debate that's been had many, many times before and no evidence has been produced that it could be financially viable in Australia in any foreseeable time frame. And the other one was that Peter Dutton has said that they will have something to say on climate change before the next election, including a better target than what they took to this year's election, which is obviously a nod to the moderates remaining in the party room. Mm. But a lot of people are saying at the moment they've made themselves kind of irrelevant to the debate, and I think that's probably right. Adam, I just want to come back to the bill. It's been lauded as the end of the climate wars, but in terms of the practical climate action that we need right now, is it enough? Oh, it's nothing like enough. I mean, there's not really anything in it. And uh, Labor is right when they've said that they could do all these things without the legislation. Um, mm. It's incredibly modest. Uh, the targets set are modest, not that difficult to meet and certainly not in line with what um, climate scientists and overseas governments and the United Nations and a variety of others say is necessary if we're going to play our part in meeting the goals of the Paris Climate Agreement. So to be honest, okay, it's a first step. 
that's not nothing after where we've been, but it's largely symbolic and I think claims that it's actually ending the climate wars, as they're described, is premature because we're going to keep having this argument about how much we should be doing and we need to keep having that argument. That was Adam Morton, Environment Editor at Guardian Australia. You can read his reporting on the climate bill at theguardian.com. I particularly recommend the piece, Greens in Powerful Position on Climate as Labor Faces Scrutiny Over Coalition's Gas-Fired Recovery Projects. It goes into more detail about the future of $2 billion of fossil fuel funding committed in the final 18 months of the Morrison government. This episode was produced by Karishma Luthria, Joey Watson and Camilla Hannon, who also did the sound design. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Mattignoni, Gabrielle Jackson, Molly Glassie and me, Laura Murphy-Oates. OK, catch you tomorrow. <laughs>